2: podcast series exploring all aspects of the criminal justice system with me, prison philanthropist and founder of One Small Thing, Edwina Grosvenor.
0: In this episode, Edwina talks to Chief Constable Olivia Pinckney about her role and its challenges. Olivia joined Hampshire Constabulary in April 2016 and is the most senior police officer in the county. She is also the National Police Lead for Children and Young People and chair of the National Women Chief Officers Network. My name's Olivia Pinkney. I'm the Chief Constable here in Hampshire Constabulary.
2: And Olivia, how long have you been in your current role? Uh, Nearly four years. So coming up four years. Enjoying it? I love it. Can you explain to me, first of all, what you did beforehand and why and how did you end up as the Chief Constable of this county? Yeah,
0: so uh, it's the first time I've worked in Hampshire, but I've worked across five policing areas. But I joined the police straight from university. I studied maths. I had no one in my family who... Uh, I was involved in policing, but I had a real heart for for social justice and, and doing a job, which policing absolutely is, certainly, to begin with, where you can really kind of see the fruits of your labours really, you know, immediately. It's it's really great for that. So um, I joined policing for a bit. I knew nothing about it, um, but I found my vocation instantly and I haven't looked back.
2: Yeah. And so not that I'm going to get too personal and ask you how mm-hmm. old you are, but when you joined, um, whenever that was... You were obviously a female going into the police mm. force, um, and are, were things sort of very different compared to sort of how they are now? Because you're the yeah. first female chief constable.
0: Of Hampshire, of course. But equally, you know, you look around the country, you know, Cressida, Dame Cressida, Commissioner of the Met, uh, Lynn Owens, uh, you know, head of the National Crime Agency. There are a number of female chief constables. Not enough, um, Mm. but there are but there are a number. So uh, I don't mind saying how old I am. I'll be 50 this year. So I joined uh, in 91 when I was 21. And back then, when you were on response teams, there was kind of one woman per team. And we were almost kind of divvied out in order to get that kind of coverage. Now, over 30% of, of police officers are women. It's, it's not a thing. And, and whilst, yes, I'm the, the first female chief of Hampshire, what I think is, is more remarkable because it did not cause comment was that Sarah is my deputy chief constable. We were the first female chief constable okay. and deputy ever. And it wasn't a thing and i think that's a really good test actually of how gender equality particularly in policing is 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 you know, really good across lots of areas, both rank, both role. Mm. Uh, in a really, it's a really positive place to work.
2: And is it sort of still moving in the right direction? Does it still yeah. have you know places to go on that? I mean, most organisations, um, yeah. You know, even if, even if an organisation is a good place on it, you know, it's something to keep on top of, isn't it? Oh,
0: well, I'm I'm never be complacent about it. There are mm. other areas of qualities which policing still absolutely has a considerable way to go. Um, but on the gender front, yes, there are still roles where. Uh, women are more comfortable perhaps than others. Certainly there are more roles that we have created as being open to flexibility whilst on paper, everything um, is, you know, one can work flexibly within actually there are still some kind of practical hindrances in some roles rather than others but you know we're alive to that and when we have you know a really active women's network who are really challenging um and of course they they do good for men and women you know it's it the benefit is felt by all exactly Um,
2: what are the um sort of ratio at the minute in about a third third female okay and tell me what an average day looks like (laughs) um exactly i can sort of tell you already thinking well no two days are the same don't be ridiculous
0: so i mean i'm smiling because you know one of things I love about policing is that I I believe policing is at the heart of healthy society it's so much part of our democracy Uh, it needs to be done brilliantly we're also a monopoly supplier so uh, unlike lots of other public services you can only get our policing so I'm really conscious of uh, of that so an average day so I start with really early on getting an operational update of you know if there have been really big events if there's particular community tension if there's been you know, a homicide or, you know, any kind of major event, then I would know about that. And I'd be really interested in our resourcing, our connection with our partners, our connection with our communities. Um, and after that, you know, I'm a chief exec of a, of a public sector organization of 300 million pound budget. So I do a lot of meetings. Um, but I also try to be out and about a lot. So I want to spend a lot of time with the staff I lead, but also really importantly as well with the partners I work alongside. And I think it was, um, I think it was Robert Peel who said policing is too important to be left to the police alone and, and connection with local authority, with public health, with other health colleagues, um, you know, with so many of our um, not for profits who deliver brilliant stuff for victims and elsewhere. That's kind of bread and butter stuff. that I, Those connections really matter. Um so I spend a lot of time doing that.
2: And what do you prefer doing? Do you prefer sort of being out on the beast on the front line? Because of course the more senior you get in an organization, the more desk time you probably have. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. I love
0: going out and about. But you know, I don't do anything like as much as I should, and certainly as much as I would like. Um, but no, it's 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 infrequent. But I, I find it a really good time to connect with staff more than anything actually. It's like, you know, I don't know if you're in the in the car. Um, with your child, they talk to you in the car when you're not looking at each other. Absolutely. Um, and it's the same with, with when you're out and about on patrol with road policing or firearms or local officers. You know, they'll, they just talk. And yeah. I, it's really good triangulation for me to know what's going on in my organisation.
2: And what are the sort of issues that um, are sort of prevalent here in Hampshire as a county? What sort of keeps you up at night?
0: Stuff I really worry about. I really worry about the genuine increase in serious violence that's, that's going on out there. There are more serious assaults, there are more weapons, um, you know, there are more homicides and others. And I I really worry about that. Can
2: I quickly Mm. interrupt and say, do you have any idea what?
0: Yeah, so a number of domestic abuse, um, and and twas ever thus, sadly. So we do a huge amount to try and prevent that. But you know, that is- is that because
2: people are reporting more, because we're talking about it more, because there's more more of an
0: awareness? I I think, yeah, so I often talk about a number of crimes were always there, but have come out into the light. So um, so domestic abuse has always been there. It is still massively underreported to the police, but it is much more than it was. Um, and I, you know, to give you a sense of scale, we are called to 600 things a day across our Constabulary. 600 a day? Yeah, and 100 of those are domestic abuse. So, okay. so that's a sense of scale of what comes to us.
2: And you think that's tip of the iceberg? Yeah, like, yeah. for sure,
0: for sure. And, and that's what all of our, you know, our expert academics and, and brilliant charity partners would tell us. It's, mm. It is massively a tip of the iceberg. The other element around the serious violence, though, is is drugs. And it is um, turf war. It is county lines. Um, and it is a burgeoning and really concerning um, you know, propensity to use real violence. There's also a third bit, perhaps less so, but you do see where, as one judge put it quite recently to me, you know, a good old fashioned fisticuffs, you know, <laughs> people use knives now because they're carrying them. So when they used to just have a normal fight, if I can use that language, they'll now use a knife because they've got a knife. And that really scares me.
2: Oh, and down here, you know, because we tend to think knife crime, South London, Mm-mm. it's well, everywhere. We've so. had a
0: tragedy only last week in Southampton where a, a child, kill, you know, is going to court, but it, it seems, you know, a child has been charged with. Killing another child. How old was he? The boy who died was seventeen, and and the lad who's been charged is fifteen. It was heartbreaking
2: no. for everybody, mm. not least for both of them.
0: So, um, yeah. So no, sadly, um, you know, it is it is everywhere.
2: And could you explain what County Lines are? Because it's something we hear a lot of, you can read about it in the papers a lot, but I'm just talking to some good friends of mine, actually at the weekend. It was sort of like, you know, what actually are they and how do they work?
0: County Lines is a business model for uh, supplying drugs and the line bit is the phone line. So uh, what happens is if you want, you know, your drugs at your home, you ring up and it's kind of just ordering it in effectively. Um, and the drugs are then moved, usually through the rail network, often by by young children who are who, through the rail network. Yeah. So so that's why in our area, you know, we have really good connections to London. So rail connections. So, you know, we have a lot of county lines networks. Well
2: interesting. So when I see heaps of police at Waterloo or Southampton Central, I'm always thinking, My God, there's probably gonna be a terrorist attack. No. They're Probably county there lines. because of county lines. And if you look
0: at all of our towns who are on the main line out of London routes, you know, there is there is a concern there. So what happens is the, the, the order is put in on the line uh, and then the, the often young person is the mule, is carrying the drugs to the next person to, you know, and they're distributed locally. And it's a very quick business model.
2: Right, so if I'm down here and I sort of want whatever type of drug, mm. um, I get on my mobile phone and text someone in London. Well, the, the number. Drug dealer. Okay, you, the You number. text
0: the line, yep, yeah, and up it comes. Right. So young people are carrying the drugs um, up and down on the train lines. Often there's big money in it for them. You know, it is also young young people from across the social spectrum as well who are carrying. You know, if you're 14, 15 and someone's offering you two, 300 quid a day.
2: Well, and also then saying, if you don't do it, I'm going to... I know where you live, and I'm going to come after you.
0: Exactly that. There's that. There's also the very quick. You know, you get you get the drugs. Then someone arranges to have those drugs robbed from you, so suddenly you owe me, God. Um, and that's arranged. So you get that kind of that debt, um, which means you, you're then you know you're 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 in a way that you can't get out of as a young what's child. what's the
2: youngest you've seen as a child drug runner?
0: Um, yeah, certainly. Um, you know I've seen them under the age of criminal responsibility but so under 10 it's it's unusual but you you can see that because I did
2: read somewhere I think something about children being sort of groomed from primary schools yeah yeah
0: and we treat those kids as victims because they are you know they have been groomed and they have been abused and they are scared Um, the difficulty is of course when it goes so far for them and they do something awful to someone else Mm. Um, you know, and and then they're in this cycle, which is, you know, there's really difficult problems to sort out. And
2: of course, I guess that also feeds into the difficulty of policing something like this, because then the drug dealer's like, well, yeah, because they don't get sent to prison. So they're the perfect people to be running the drugs. Yeah,
0: and they'll just replace them with another one. Yeah. Um, And similarly, you know, we have great legislation now where we can close these lines down. So once we get it, you know, we can close the number down. Um, And I saw an example quite recently. So we get the number... With our public health colleagues, we text out to everyone who's on that address list saying, look, with the police, I understand you may have been using this number for drugs. Please go and get help for any, you know, drug misuse concerns from a health perspective. Um, and we go straight out and do that. We get some, you know, some, some rude responses. We get some thank you responses. We also get some slightly amusing responses. But actually, um, that number is just replaced. So right now you can, you know, pick that number and stick it into another SIM card and go again.
2: Right. So... How does that make you feel as a police force if it's just sort of trying to... I mean, I know your job is to make the arrest and sort of... Well, our job is to stop it happening. So, yeah, you know, it, we... It seems absence, like it's quite frustrating. Oh, it's like, how do you get upstream of that?
0: Mm, hugely. So, so, you know, the, the success of policing, again, going back to, to Peel 200 years ago nearly, was the absence of crime. So, yes, of course, when it happens, we need to be great at dealing with it. We need to be brilliant with victims. I expect all of that. But actually, I'd much rather... We were stopping it up front and, and it was never happening. So people weren't suffering. So the absence of crime um, is what we're about. And and I find it deeply frustrating because it is so widespread. Um, and we focus very much from a policing perspective on drug-related harm. We are not there to go and just grab load. You know, success for us is not... The drug. Success for us is removing the harm caused by the drug mm. and the criminality that goes alongside it, which is massive. So I find it deeply frustrating. But it's like anything, we also need to stop the market. If people weren't buying this stuff, there wouldn't be kids running it down on railway lines. Mm. And there wouldn't be kids being held up at knife point and there wouldn't be people being raped. And there wouldn't be, you know, adults, often vulnerable adults, being cuckooed in their homes where they're in their own environment and drug dealers come in and say, Right, I'm living with you for a fortnight. Right.
2: It's awful. You yeah. see it. It's just awful. And so I don't suppose, as a chief constable, you'd be an advocate of legalisation of drugs. I mean, I, that's uh, such a big thing, isn't it? With so many then probably more unintended consequences. Yeah. Is it, do, you, when, do you think we'll ever do that?
0: I mean, what the, the counter argument is to, you know, don't fuel this county line network with your recreational drug use on a Saturday night. is, And I often hear it. Yeah, but I can't buy legal drugs. So I've only got a choice to, to buy uh, criminal ones that that have that kind of harm associated. you know being frank um I think it's a discussion that we need to have in this country. I think it is nuanced. I think as the police I need to be really careful it's not for us to, to take that. there's so many health consequences and I talk often with you know directors of public health around here they, they take it so seriously and they're doing so much and yet it is still creating the harm not least the, you know, the the mental health harm. I mean, to answer your question, I certainly would really welcome a very different conversation in this country. Mm. In policing, we will do as much as we possibly can, but you can't... You can't arrest your way out of this
2: no but then what i guess we can do is educate and something i've found quite interesting about schools Mm. is they often don't want to talk about drugs they don't want to i've approached schools through a charity that i've been involved in where prison officers go into schools and they bring the drugs dogs in and then they'll do workshops on Mm. drugs and Um, and often schools can be very sort of, well, we don't have a problem with that here. Schools that I know fairly well and sort of know, and regardless of whether you, the point is you don't want a problem. So therefore you should be educating the children as to the dangers of them, you know, before the drugs get to them first. So I found that really problematic. I mean, my parents took me to a drug rehabilitation clinic in Liverpool when I was 12 years old and I was sat in a room with two heroin addicts and uh, my parents were like, You know, they'd obviously arranged it carefully beforehand. They were like, you can ask them anything. They were happy to talk to me and my sister about anything. And it just turned my life on a... I didn't realize it then. I was just like asking them all these questions and they were kind of laughing because I was so interested (laughs) in like every detail. But it was absolutely brilliant. So when I went to the parties, I'd be in London of people snorting cocaine or this. I thought, oh, poor you. You don't know how bad it could get for you. And I remember feeling all kind of like empowered and sort of like, I know the secret and why don't more people know Mm -hmm. it? So now that I've got three of my own, I'm desperately thinking, even though they're only five, four and eight, I'm really desperately thinking now about how do I educate them about it? So do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, I think, um,
0: because I've just finished five years of being the National Police Chiefs Council for Children and Young People, and we've done a huge amount. We're doing some evidence gathering now actually about what works in terms of the policing role in a school environment. So we've got control schools where we're doing one version and then a version of the version. And, we're, and we're working with lse to get that evaluated to work out really what does have the greatest impact both from a cost-benefit perspective and policing but actually where's the real impact in a school environment but of course schools only have kids for six hours a day hmm. they've got all the other hours a day as well um, and you know there is something about us i'm like you i mean i've got a 17 year old and we have always talked to him since he was tiny um, actually about the health implications and that's the bit yeah. that, that really worked for him. You know, he's into his sport and, and so on. And he's like, i not doing that because of, you know, forget the illegality. Forget, because that doesn't, yeah.
2: that, for that young doesn't people, matter. that doesn't matter. Because no. they're never going to get
0: caught because they don't, no, you know.
2: Couldn't give
0: so so, so that, that's not something that triggers mm. for a child. What, what triggers is, actually, this is going to spoil everything else that I really like doing um and and that's certainly you know what, what we've done as a parent but we are doing that evaluation now about about what works and it's but certainly we need to be much more up front much clearer um, about all you know there are
2: loads of different schools of thought around drugs but let's have that out there roughly speaking what age do you think is appropriate to start sort of Gentle conversations. Talk cool. about healthy choices, whatever
0: they are. Yeah. You know, healthy choices in relationships, healthy choices yeah. in your body, healthy choices in... Exactly. You, know, you, you would to go
2: deep into domestic violence, but you talk about healthy, healthy relationships. Healthy relationships, for sure. So I yeah. think you can
0: start that really young. You're listening to Justice with Edwina Grosvenor.
2: Skipping back to technology... And the county lines and the use of the telephone. Um, I imagine that technology is an absolute nightmare these days when it comes to the prevalence of crime. Mm. I know that um, tech is actually slowing down court cases. I actually said to a judge, mm. oh, that must really help because you've got so much more. And they were like, no, it takes hours to go through people's phones oh, and all the evidence. Weeks. and so what has sort of technology done for your police force?
0: So, I mean, technology is, is a brilliant, 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 brilliant thing, of course. And, you know, the exponential pace of development, which is showing no sign of, of, of slowing down, of course, is brilliant in lots of ways. But you're right. There's much more kind of boring but important things. Like, uh, as that judge said to you, you know, you think about the data that, that I'm sure you're carrying around in, in, in your bag as I am in mine compared to what we used to carry around 10 years ago. Um, And the whole issue, particularly in one who's talking about a court environment of disclosure. And there's been some really big court celebrities, which I totally understand in the last year or so, where disclosure, you know, has has not gone right from CPS, Crown Prosecution Service and the police perspective. What it means is, you know, the police do not and the CPS do not go on a fishing trip. Couldn't be interested. A, don't have, wouldn't dream of doing it anyway because it'd be wrong. But we have a duty together under legislation to tell the court anything that either points towards or away from the um the guilt of the of the person who's in court so we've got a duty to go and find it so you know and that can feel really invasive and i absolutely get that can feel really invasive for for someone who's been a victim of something awful and here are we saying you know can we have a look through all of your data sets not least of which the inconvenience of, of having to hand it over for a period. Um, so, and, and it does take a while, mm-hmm. and we prioritize, and we, you know, we spend a whole lot of money on it. The maturity of the forensic market is a concern nationally. So, how many people are actually to do it, to do mm-hmm. that technology? There's a role there for for artificial intelligence, for AI, and that's being developed really fast. And not saying that AI would be the decision maker. It's like in so many things for AI. But AI can kind of trawl through 98% of stuff, which is of no interest. Right. And then just highlight the 2% you might want to have a look at and still bring a human
2: And what if you were looking for something on someone's phone and you came across actually a, a much bigger problem or another crime that they might have committed? Where does the line... I mean, that
0: happens you know, yeah cause I
2: can imagine if it's an entrenched criminal yeah. there's all sorts of things multiple things going on do you yeah. just go right this is the one investigation so we have to but well on. the
0: issue often with this when we're talking about the disclosure okay. point is often the information of the prosecution so it's often the victims data okay which often oh, criminals okay. can be victims too except that right. um, so, so we you know we, we use proportionality you know is it is it really serious Yeah.
2: Um, or is it not? Right. If you found out they were sort of plotting a terrorist attack, so we, might we might, might mention it. We might do something yeah. about that. Right. right. So yeah. if it was just um, a few drug deals on the side, depending on the quantity and the class, you might... Yeah, depend- yeah exactly that. And that
0: and, happens, you know, that happens, you know, that that's that's pragmatic. That's the, mm. the professional judgment of, of policing, Crown Prosecutor Service uh, and others. So that's, if you like, in the, the core environment. More broadly, technology, you know, is a, is a wonderful vehicle for people to harm other people. It sounds so miserable, but yeah. you, why burglar house when you can rip an old lady off for her savings? Mm. And it's frankly, you know, they are really good, these tricksters. Yeah. They are whizzing out literally thousands of contacts. And if they get one pickup, you know, that's a good day's work. Um, and they prey on people's loneliness so you know the date fraud is so sad um, they'll trick people into handing over their life savings the, the banks are brilliant so the banks now high street banks if someone comes in and is and is sort of taking out loads of money that they've never taken out before mm. they just don't let them. it's brilliant the, the high street okay. banks are doing because they really know what to look for yeah when an elderly person is being you know tricked into 20 grand for the you know
2: and yeah. you drive or something. With the deep and murky world of the web mm. and um, child images mm-hmm. that seems to be you know such an emotive subject obviously and something that is just so appalling to most people yeah. um, and then we hear a lot about the tech companies and what they are or aren't doing yeah. we hear a lot about it in the media um, how do you get on top of that unless you employ hundreds of thousands of tech people or do you have lots of tech people we have
0: loads of tech people but but you're right you know the argument in the media which i which the national crime agency lead on and which i'm really supportive of is of course there's more that technology companies can do why do you think
2: they don't because like it's not like saying you know this it's just it's (laughs) exactly i don't really see what the problem is for these tech companies
0: i don't either I mean, for right. me, it does seem, you know, it, it seems the right thing to do. I think it's what their customer base would kind of expect them to do or 90, you know, 98% of the customer base would expect them to do. Um, but often, you know, these are global setups, aren't they? So it's not in one legislative jurisdiction. No. Um, you know, it's complicated. And, and I get that, but yeah. it doesn't mean we should give up on it.
2: Well, exactly. I mean, we've put a man on the moon and you sort of think surely these sort of tech companies what a worthy thing to work together on yeah. to say we are doing our bit to stamp out child abuse and child exploitation Great.
0: And, the, and the dark web you know there is so much that one that you can buy i mean the national crime agency is, is, is so clear on this stuff and they're, they you know they're, they're out in the public domain all the time really rightly i think just explaining what goes on and the scale of what goes on is scary
2: and also in prostitution, I was learning the other day that now women um, and men, of course, because you get male prostitutes, but um, women aren't having to stand on the street corners so oh much no. anymore because they can do it all through their phone and just... Good.
0: It's like a county line equivalent. This, this, yeah. is, this is a commodity. Yeah. Drugs are a commodity. I've got something to say. Sex trade. is a commodity. It's yeah. a commodity. And you feel it like that, then that's, you know, then it, it's the same. And also it's it's a much... You know the risks are much less. You're not out. You're not in the public domain. No one's going to see you. You're Much like you know, you're a little bit more in control, perhaps of, your, of the environment you're working in. Um, but you're certainly much less likely to get caught, right? And of course, it's not just about the police catching. But it's not
2: illegal, is it? No, 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 no. no. no but, but to no, it's be a not. prostitute, no,
0: no, it's it's illegal to you know to be a pimp and to to, to live off. Okay. But more broadly, it's about. It's not just the police being the enforcers. It's about society having things that are acceptable and and because so much now is behind closed doors of course society doesn't have to have a view of it in the Mm. same way um you know before you know and and i'm not turning the clock back we are we are and there's brilliant stuff that comes out of the technology that we have but because things aren't in an open community there's no kind of self regulation that communities do so well they keep themselves safe so much of the time Mm. but if it's behind closed doors they don't
2: do you have any ideas of looking to the next 10, 20 years um, of policing, how the challenges might change? Do you talk about that much oh, as, as a force?
0: Yeah, we do. I mean, you, you, you hope and expect that that we would. So um, much more online, so really burgeoning in that regard. And of course, a lot of that is global. Yeah. Um, drones? Oh, we use drones now.
2: Yeah, but also drones as a pest, kind of oh, drones yep. over we properties. Have that <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep so we have that too and surely that will really increase as in the shape of the drone the sort of abilities of the drone people carrying drones which have already been developed yep so so there's
0: yep exactly that and
2: you see that you know
0: with the prisons and things being dropped into prisons and and all sorts so I mean that stuff absolutely will 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 burgeon um particularly around new communities and um you know increasingly um you know Potential inequality in our communities. So when you look around the globe, um, where there's an uplift in crime, it's not about the absolute poverty or wealth. It's about the distribution of it, mm. um, and therefore, you know, the UK's uh, inequality. I was reading only last week is, is one of the highest. Um, so that you know that if that continues, then with that comes, you know, it comes violence. Comes you know, people seeing things they want to go and steal because someone else has got it. Um, so that inequality uh, concerns me uh, around that and the, and the tension that might come from it. And I, you know, we always will continue to worry about terrorism of whatever ilk and mode, um, and that morphs over time. But we, you know, we will always continue to worry about that.
2: And then what's your view now on, we've heard a lot about um, 20,000 new yeah. police officers and that's nationally? That's nationally. Right, so how many might you get
0: so we know our year one. So so the way I describe this, we've had like every public sector, I don't make special pleadings. We've had 10 years of austerity. These numbers will help us recover over three. Okay. So that will get us back to the staffing numbers we were 10 years ago. Crime has changed massively in that time as we've just yeah. talked about. So, you know, there is much more high harm. There is much more complex crime. All those things about technology and disclosure, you know, is just a bit more complex, a lot more complex now than it was and crime that's come into the light. But for us in year one, we've got 156 more. So I've got um, 2,800 police officers and I uh, recruit 250 every year when people you know, uh, move on. So for us by March 21, we'll have recruited uh, 600 new ones. I don't know how many of that 20,000 I'll get in years two right. and three that, to be advised. But yeah. I, you know, I'm confident that, that the new government mean it. And I'm confident that we'll get You know, our slice, but I I don't know the numbers yet.
2: And the retention in police is quite high. It's very
0: high. So we lose 5% a year. It's very low. Okay.
2: And new recruits come in. Will all these people, the new people coming in, be sort of young, 20 or So, no. So, at any point in the career?
0: I really want uh, one of the joys of policing is, you know, we police all society, all communities. Mm. And I therefore genuinely want a workforce that does all of that too. Yes. So, yes, some of them will be fresh out of whatever. Um, but equally, I want grown-ups who are coming back from a, into a second career and we've got a real heart for policing. Yeah. I really need digital skills. I really need other languages. Um, so one of the things, you know, policing is a vocation, and mm. that still um, really shouts out when you, you meet people who, who are joining us. And, you know, when people often leave us, they've got it in their heart as much as day one. So I really need that broad brush um, uh, workforce coming in. I am determined to get our police officer workforce to be visibly representative of um, of our communities because with 10 years of shrinking mm. that's really hard to do because we're recruiting in tiny tiny numbers so I'm determined that we will have of the new people coming in 10% uh, black and minority ethnic okay. people coming in which is what our community is in across our constabulary and area.
2: Do you interview them and how long is the training?
0: So yes we do you have to get over the national selection process Um, which all police forces do Um, and then they come in and then the training well come the summer it changes and you have degree apprenticeships Mm. so we train you we pay you and then at the end of it you get um, a degree Uh, that'll be three years
2: okay but in that
0: third year of three you'll be specializing in investigation or in neighborhoods all sorts of stuff so you know you're, you're spreading your wings within our profession in that third year of your training.
2: Because I guess coming from a prison service background, myself, as you know, um, the big worries for our beleaguered service mm. and the lack of numbers yeah. of prison officers is that, you know, many of them, and it's obviously completely down to them if they want to leave the service and join the police force. But, you know, yeah. the prison service is very worried about that, but it's um, not much anyone can do about that really. But then when I sort of compare the recruitment, you know, both equally hugely important, hugely difficult roles. Mm. Prison officers don't get interviewed and they get six weeks training and it's just quite stark. Oh, hold on. I think the six weeks went up to 10. Oh, gosh. Um, But a couple of those weeks are on the job, on the wings. So I sort of, I'm not expecting you to have the answers. It's just um, drawing those stark, stark parallels on recruitment and training and value of your staff. I agree. No I, wonder people are leaving. And I have spoken, service. you
0: know, to reassure you, I have spoken to, you know, the governors of of, of Winchester and the Isle of Wight prisoner around, around that because I want us to be good partners. Hmm. I want us to, you know, I'm recruiting over several years. Um, I want us to not denude partner agencies at hmm. all. You know, we do pay uh, joining constables in Hampshire as much as police regulations allow us. So someone comes in on 24,000 and after seven years as a constable, you're earning forty. it's it's those are reasonable i'm not saying you'll be rich when you join the police but those are reasonable conditions Mm. that will make someone consider policing um but i think what what sets um i think one of the things for policing uh, and why the training is perhaps so much longer and i didn't know that about the prison service is you know police officers work out on their own in the community and are making their own judgments and decisions in a yes of course there's supervision and colleagues and so on but actually they have got that freedom and that deliberate kind of built in that that's the way policing works in this country. So it is very much for them to make their own judgments. As long as they're reasonable, that's fine. You know, someone might make a different one, but it's all about kind of reason and confidence in that environment. And I know how challenging um, the prison sector is. You know, we've done the the, the 72 films, crime and punishment series mm, across across absolutely. our area. And, you know, I knew a lot about the prisons and even that program really brought even more home to me. So I have huge uh, respect for them. It's a hugely challenging place to be. But yeah, you know, we're conscious of, you know, there are other public sector roles in our area that would be attracted to joining us. I I want us to be an employer of choice. I really do.
2: And I suppose until actually the powers that be in the sort of higher echelons of the criminal justice system or the Ministry of Justice, Mm. maybe until we start um, raising the value of the prison officer and their pay and their training, um, you know, that they will probably want to find jobs elsewhere and what can you do? The other thing I wanted to ask you is also the other impact on the prisons. So more officers, more prosecution, well, more arrests, and then potentially more prosecutions. It always seems that no one does the maths on our prison spaces. So I was just interested from a police point of view, does anybody do the counting there? I know you arrest, but you don't prosecute. So actually that sits with the judges. But then I was in Winchester Crown Court yesterday and watching people being sent to prison, which is a fa- fairly horrific thing to do on a Monday morning. But then I said, what contact do you have with the prisons? Do you know where that young 22-year-old who's just been sent to prison, where is he going? And of course, they don't know. They don't need to know. But it just seems to me that there's not much joined up communication. Um, no, actually, no, I can reassure you on that. Yeah. We we
0: have done the maths across our area. We've done the maths. And of course, you know, it's with you know certain percentage caveats and things. But of okay so you know what will be coming in if you like into the the criminal justice hopper and how will it work through the Crown prosecution service through the court system of of all courts what does it mean for probation services what does it mean for prison services so we have done that thinking and of course you know right now today before the increase in officer numbers if it's you know the the highest harm the most serious thing we absolutely are dealing with that anyway so we are you know with the police we always go to emergencies we always investigate the most serious and complex crime what the uplift will bring us, and they're the ones that go to prison largely, what the uplift will bring us will be two things. One is much more kind of generalist investigators. Well, they don't necessarily go to prison. There are other ways that that can be dealt with both in and out of court. But the other bit that would impact on what you're saying is our proactivity. So being able to go after more organised criminals, more drug cartels, that kind of stuff. Um, And we will have greater capacity to do some of that. But relatively, you know, it's not the uplift that will shift that. You know, we're very similar to the health sector, really. So... Having done those things I've just described that we must do, it's then an affordability choice about what we investigate. And, and we're very open with the public. We explain, you know, thank you for telling us, but actually on this occasion, you know, we're not going to be formally investigating this. And that's that's an affordability bar. Mm. And, and that varies around the country, depending on how well-resourced your police force is. Right. It's no different from your hospital. It's no different from your school. It's it's pretty unpalatable, professionally, mm. I, I find it deeply uncomfortable. Um, but that's what we do. So having more officers and more staff because there's more staff promised as well you know we will be able to to lower that bar we'll be able to investigate more and i'm really excited about that because right. what i want to do it's what my officers want to do yeah um so so that will help but it won't necessarily all go into the the prison sector because it'll yeah. be much more kind of you know, general crime that perhaps doesn't attract a prison sentence.
2: Okay. And what are your views on female offending in Hampshire? Mm. What are the big differences you see when it comes to women in the criminal justice system? Because I know that we have no women's centre in Hampshire. I think I'm right in saying there's six beds for women across the county.
0: I'll you, I'm sure you're right. I don't know off the top of my head.
2: Um, and of course, then all the women who are on the prison trajectory, if they get sent to prison, they go to Bronzefield, yeah. which is out of the county. I don't
0: know where this government stands on on women uh, and, and prison. And I, you know, and I don't know where the Royal Commission on Criminal Justice, I don't know its terms of reference. You may have got close to that. But I, I hope that it, it picks up this element. It is well documented, isn't it? Um, the social harm of, you know, removing um a mother from their child doesn't mean to say they shouldn't be punished, doesn't mean to say they shouldn't be dealt with, doesn't mean to say uh, you know, the victim, you know, is, is so important all of this. I'm not decrying any of that. But what I what saddens me is, you know, where one is perpetuating um, you know, often generationally, you know, the harm mm. from the and it, it just breaks my heart. What we often find as well um is particularly we've got some really great perpetrator programs for domestic abuse okay and what we find in our area where um not always but often when the women are the perpetrators of domestic abuse actually you don't have to scratch that far beneath the surface to find that they're also victims too so you know you've got this my, my personal view is you've got this real sense particularly with women offenders that they are You know, if it's if it's if they're stealing it's because their kids are hungry, you know, I don't excuse it. I'm not some kind of softy around this, Mm. but I absolutely think we need to be much, much more creative and much more upfront. Yes, deal with the offence. Yes, punish. Yes, rehabilitate. But please do not do it again for the next generation. Yeah, That, you know, for me, it's kind of really stark. And and I do see it. And I and I, you know, it saddens to be great.
2: Yeah, because a lot of magistrates I talk to, they sort of will very openly say, you know, we're getting to the point where, you know, it's no secret that the probation service underwent those changes and became part privatised mm-hmm. and the community rehabilitation companies came in. Profit was driven into an area which I think is sort of problematic when you're dealing with sort of human beings recovering mm. from something. And we know that hasn't worked well and it's undergoing another reorganisation. Yep. But as a result, the community services simply aren't there. So yeah. the magistrate goes, oh, I'd like to give you a community sentence. My options are virtually nothing. Yeah, I can't give you a tag into your home if your abuser is in your home. I also can't give you a tag if you don't have an address and you're homeless. Mm. Right. So that disqualifies lots of women, almost the majority probably. And so then they're being sent to prison yeah. for their own safety. No, I accept that. And 70% are being sent to prison for under six months, which we all know is enough time for them to lose their homes, their jobs and their children. The children go into care. We know they're not very safe there. And often end up in places like Feltham. And and so the sort of system goes on. So what what would be good for Hampshire? So but I
0: think you've hit on it. And and I, you know, and I talked to police and crime commissioner here as well, who isn't the only person who can commission those services but has a real voice. And he's got a real heart for it um, around let's make sure those services are there so that the magistracy, you know, can refer to. Similarly, the youth offending teams, they need things that they can purposefully, yeah. usefully uh, do to,
2: you know, break the offending cycle. Instead of saying prison is the safest place for you, because then of course, you know, the taxpayers yeah. are then paying for this sort of dysfunction yeah. to exist. So really
0: creative commissioning, really creative mm. commissioning across sector um, is is essential. And, I, you know, in our,
2: in, in our area,
0: to answer your question particularly, we have... Brilliant uh, relationships, really cross-sector commissioning. You know, of course, it could be better, but it is really healthy. And it does try and be bold around some of this.
2: So when it comes to the next 10 years Mm -hmm. and your role, Mm -hmm. you're now chief constable, so you're top of the tree. Do you have any um, sort of ambitions to... You know, can you get, you can't get higher than a chief constable, can you?
0: Um, well, I'm not going to in policing. So the, right. the only role above mine is, is the commissioner of the Met. And, okay. and you're not, that, is, you're not going that is not a role <laughs> that would attract me with all great respect to Cressida, nor probably would they want me anyway, because um, right. I've never worked in the Met. So uh, th- that isn't uh, anything I would even consider. I'm not going anywhere. I love this job. How long um, is the
2: average term for a chief The average constable? is really
0: short. It's actually shrunk. I think the average is two and a bit years. But my personal view is, you know, con- our contracts are five years. And then we extend them. Um, they, we have to ask to have them extended by three and then annually thereafter. Okay. So I personally intend asking for as much extension as I can probably get.
2: Right. And you've, you said you've already done four years.
0: Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I love it. So, uh, but I'll have a, you know, there'll be a commissioner election coming up. So police and crime commissioners every four years. Yeah. The election's this uh, May. So that conversation will be with my next commissioner, whoever he or she is.
2: Well, here's to many happy more years. Of, Thank you. With you in charge of policing in Hampshire. Thank you so much for talking to me.
0: Links relevant to this episode can be found in the pod notes below. If you enjoyed listening, we would love it if you would subscribe. Also rate, review and best of all, share this episode. Justice is co-produced for One Small Thing by the London Podcast Company and Pencil. It's that time of the year.
1: Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about...
0: Work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync,
1: things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer.